Welcome to Be The One. Be The One. It only takes one person to understand. Will you be that one for someone? Original Music Grow is by Kelly Fitzgerald. I'm Erin. And I'm Vani. And let's get started. And today we are on location at the Consumers Credit Union at Cascade. I would like to thank them for allowing us to use their space. And today we have a very, well, what's the word? unique guest because of his unique and powerful voice. Not just his actual voice, but his story. So excited today because we have Wood Radio's own Steve Kelly with us today. And um, we connected through me to sharing my own story about I Understand with you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and our connection? And our daughter's connection as well. Our, our Maddies went to school together and I didn't know the, the breadth of Maddie's story until I talked to you. And uh, it's always interesting. And I talked about uh, when I was at the I Understand five-year anniversary, how there are no coincidences. And it was fascinating to know that this was going along, that Maddie was supporting your Maddie way back when, uh, while I was going through my struggle as well. So it's, it's just funny. And I also said... Um, and continue to say, look who God puts in your life when you talk about um, recovery and discovery of what it is that you're, you're battling. Uh, and again, to the point of no coincidences, uh, help is not ever far away, and help comes in a variety of ways, and first and foremost through the people that are right in front of you, hiding in plain sight. Who'd have thought? I love the idea that our Maddies knew each other for so long and were friends for many, many, many years before we really even even connected. And after Maddie heard your story at the I Understand event, she was even more connected to you and even more... I get teary-eyed. This is the first time I've done this podcast. And we've done eight, okay? This is the first time that I've gotten emotional on the podcast. But when you're daughter grows up without a dad and has a friend that can support her. Maddie was so much more appreciative and grateful for your Maddie after she heard your story. Mm. And she was even more connected to you, even though she didn't know you that well. And that's the power of sharing the story and being the one, how your Maddie was was the one. And um, when I came in to Wood Radio to do the interview on I Understand, you didn't share with me at the time, but it was a phone call a day later. And that phone call a day later brought me to tears like it is right now. So will you tell us about that? We're in a society, especially now, where we have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat uh, in getting ready for this podcast after watching the Ralph Lauren special last night, I put on a polo shirt and vest and cologne. Uh, I made sure I did my hair. I spent a long time on my hair today. I took an Instagram picture of my dog this morning and was very careful to put the right filter on to make sure that we could see what she looked like 
and a human coat, which was, we spend a lot of time crafting our image. I've been in radio for 35 years, and although it's important for us to share personal things and to raise money for charities and do things, uh, I've spent 35 years crafting what I think would be the most popular image. You'll find a common thread for performers, and I think that's sort of what I do, uh, is that we like to hide behind those performances. And I've been able to share the good parts uh, about that, but I've I've never felt it necessary to tell a group of strangers that I rely on them buying my advertising products that I'm an alcoholic. It seems to work against each other. So the last time that you were in studio, it was another one of those studies that we're all so familiar with about how suicide and addiction are on the rise. And it just seemed like the time was right after talking to you and we got emotional in the studio that day as well, something I'm really uncomfortable with on the air. Uh, and it took a couple of years doing the Radiothon for Helen DeVos's Children's Hospital for me to be comfortable with being emotional on the air. Uh, God um, seasons us, you know. I wasn't ready to be this person, um, to be mic'd in a room to talk about very uncomfortable things. And, and that's why, and vice versa, when Maddie wrote what she wrote two weeks after I spoke um, at the I Understand five-year anniversary, I wrote to her that her words were healing to me, and I'm 20, 30 years older than her. So uh, we met because God thought it was necessary to further this story, and our stories became intertwined via the people that are in our lives. How funny that our daughters would have the same name or nicknames um, as part of this story as well. So I would like to, to dive in here. So you mentioned alcoholism and that's something that I know that my depression has, that was a part of me as well. Like the part where I would get blackout drunk and I would say mean things to my, my spouse. So I really want to I really want to go back to that. So can you tell us a little bit about how the alcoholism started and then how it affected you when you realized it was an issue? Because I'm sure like so many other people like myself, you're like, no, I don't have an issue. It's not a problem. Who doesn't get blacked out? Who doesn't feel like this? Who doesn't need the alcohol to just make the pain go away? So if you could just start real quick and tell us about that story. The, the fast story is uh, I have a disease and uh, I used alcohol to medicate that disease, and it became unmanageable in my life. But it took about uh, 40 years to figure that out for myself. Alcoholics, uh, drug addicts, uh, a lot of us think that we're medicating because we have unique uh, problems in the world. We don't necessarily recognize that we have localized anxiety disorder or general depression. Uh, we just think that our problems are worse than anybody else, and the problem with alcohol and drugs, uh, also known as the devil, is that they work. And they work wonderfully for a while. David Crosby said about his first heroin hit that it never gets better. You're in search of the next, the best, and it never happens again. It's the devil. You're hooked. You can use a non-religious analogy, if you'd like, physiologically, however you want to use to describe it. I had, my parents were divorced. The, the man that I spoke of, uh, who eventually lost his battle with depression, uh, was not a part of my life regularly. Um, they were divorced when they were earlier. Uh, uh, when I was young, 
second grade. My mother remarried to the man I called the colonel on the radio, uh, who has been a wonderful attribute to my life, but not a, uh, initially. We didn't bond for years, like 10 years. So I spent a good portion of my life being moved away from the, the, the central character in my life, which was my, my mother's father, um, who was very close to me, very quiet, wonderful man, drove a crane for Dow. Um, he is sort of the guy that I represent stability with. It was not complex, but I always felt complex. It was, I think we all kind of feel that way. So we moved around the world then, and one of the places that we went was England. Um, and now I'm further away from my family. My biological father is absent uh, and disappointing. He was battling what he was battling. I didn't know that, but he wouldn't send Christmas cards or gifts or call. Um, when we came to the States or a, a similar area, he would promise things and not deliver. It was heartbreaking as a child because you want that stability, that, that same-sex parental person to bond with. I didn't have that. And I didn't have it with the colonel initially. And then came a, a, a central um, point of my uh, anxiety and addiction, and it was a traumatic car accident at 13 where um, my best friend died in a very, it was a, it was a bad accident. I was in it. Uh, it took two hours um, for EMTs to cut me out of the accident while the, the body of my best friend was um, in the vehicle with me. And in those days, 1979, we dealt with that by saying things like, get over it. Although it wasn't necessarily said, it wasn't, for God's sakes, let's get this kid into some kind of therapy. This is post-traumatic stress. This can only lead to bad things down the road. So I buried it and did the best that I could to get out of that situation. I thrived in college. Um, I met my wife in radio, uh, and things were wonderful and, until the foundations uh, began to crumble and I began to use alcohol more and, and more. Um, my low point, if, if that is helpful in this conversation, came after some health issues and a, a doctor told me with my wife in the room, a gastroenterologist, after you have a liver uh, biopsy, um, that I had to stop drinking or I would die. And I, it was like 9 in the morning. I had to take a day off work. I rarely do that somehow. Um, and I'd had already had a few drinks to get psyched up. And uh, my first question to him was, you mean like I need to change the alcohol that I'm drinking? I don't know if I read that somehow that the, it was the bourbon that was really the problem or the beers or the wine or the, what if I drank like white? These are the questions that I'm asking to a guy who just told me I was going to die. You almost are have irreversible liver damage. Um, and I remember the look on Sadie's face. Now, I was very functional. I was very good. I went to a bunch of liquor stores. I dumped little bottles into big bottles. I used cash and I used credit because Sandy keeps the books. I was really good at that thing and I kept my job somehow. And, and somehow, uh, by the grace of God, um, I was just the guy that would fall asleep in my chair. So I wasn't violent. Um, maybe I was absent. Um, regardless, um, I sought help and was able to stop. Um, I got into therapy 
by a therapist that was recommended to me from an alcoholic at a bar. Look who God puts in your life. Mm -hmm. Sitting next to me day in and day out after work, I'd sneak in for a couple before I went home and snuck a bazillion drinks. And this guy said, hey, I'm seeing uh, Teresa Anderson Varney. So I called and she answered. And that began a, a relationship that helped save my life. So my question is, I mean, it, what a powerful story. I mean, and I think that so many, so many self-medicate and in, in, in turn to the alcohol or drugs for that, that calm, that comfort, that relief. When does that go from, you know, are you aware of when that goes from like just a drink or two after work to a full-blown Did you see this, the sixth sense? Sorry to cut you off. Did you see the sixth sense? Bruce Willis uh, is a character in a... I have not seen that it's movie. A, it's a horror movie, and uh, it can be applied to so many different situations, but it's really a movie about love um, and family to me. And Bruce Willis plays a character that uh, is a therapist to a little boy who's very troubled, and the little boy sees ghosts. Oh, the analogies are just thick. Um, and it could be any of those things uh, that we see. Um, and I liken Bruce Willis's situation, who, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie finds out that he's a ghost, uh, but didn't know it. So at the end of the movie, his wife in a dream, that's the only way that he can communicate with her, like the movie Ghost with Whoopi Goldberg and um, Demi Moore, uh, she drops his wedding ring, and he realizes he's not wearing it. So he, that's what alcoholism was to me. I gave advice to people that were alcoholics. I have alcoholics in my family. I went to a cousin's six-month anniversary, boozed up, to say, way to go, boy. You, you're, you're getting your act together. After I had a bunch of drinks and I was sitting in a room. No, you don't think. You think your situation is unique, just like the conversation that your Maddie and, and my Maddie had, uh, just like the words that I spoke to your daughter and she spoke to me. We think we're the only people in the world uh, and I thought I was smarter than everybody else. I mean, and that's, that's, that's it right there, is you think you're smarter and you think you're more in control. Yep. Like, ah, these people need to stop because they're not in control. I'm that one unique individual in the entire world that is in control. I have a job where I talk to people every day and they look up to me. How could they be wrong? <laughs> well, and your family. You have a beautiful family and two young, you know, two daughters. Were they aware of, or, I mean, were you that good of hiding it, or were, were they aware of what you were going through? My daughters were shocked when we had the family meeting and we told them. Um, and I praise God for that every day. I didn't kill them or hurt them driving drunk with them. I praise God for that every day because that happens. Sandy knew. Um, she's, boy, look who God puts in your life. Uh, I, I don't know anybody more uniquely qualified to put up with what I put that poor woman through or in the spirit of this conversation, uh, what we went through together um, because it took for a while for me to realize that I had a disease and I didn't have the tools to help fix it that I do now. Now these choices are more me than they were before. But I remember the conversation that I had with a mentor from Alcoholics Anonymous and I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. And he said, well, th there aren't a lot of thinks. Are you an alcoholic or not? How much are you drinking? And I, I kind of laid out what a day looked like. And 
uh, it's remarkable to your point about how you just put that as part of your little daily routine. I thought everybody had a couple before church on a Sunday. No. Uh, so I came home and I told Sandy, and I sat her down, the girls weren't there, and I said, I'm an alcoholic. And she said, I know. And it was the most remarkable transformational two words. We're in this together. I talked to an alcoholic a couple weeks ago, and he said, I'm afraid to tell my family because I don't want to lose them. And I thought the only way you're going to, and I said, the only way you're going to keep them is to let him in on the secret. And I bet you you're going to find out like me that it's not. And then, like Bruce Willis, you start to flash back to situations that aren't normal, and you think, why am I doing this? And um, everything, every transformational, God has a way of getting people's attention. Uh, God is not good with serving two masters, if you want to look at this biblically, and I was, because I was very churchy. Our family always has been, but yet I kept this secret and thought, I guess I was keeping it from him. When I finally, on my knees, during Lent at my church, admitted to God that I had a problem. The words were on the tip of my tongue a lot. I just need to say this and maybe something will change, but I didn't. When I finally said, I do not have the power to fix this problem, please take this from my shoulders, he did. A change came immediately. Um, it was awful uh, and it was hard, but it was so worth it. So you, what I really appreciate is that you recognize um, alcoholism as a disease, as an illness, and like all illnesses, we have to learn to fight them and, and beat them and battle them. Um, you also mentioned that you and Maddie had another commonality, and that was you lost your dad to suicide. Maddie lost her dad to suicide. You were angry for over 20 years with your dad. Tell us why. Um, he was the central figure in my life that broke my heart. He didn't fight for me, and I couldn't understand why. I didn't want, I mentioned Christmas presents earlier, I didn't want gifts. I just wanted to know that he was there in a common spirit fighting for this little terrified boy who was, and regardless of the, the loss or, or the absenteeism of my father and the lack of a father figure early and this awful car accident that still haunts me, um, I would have been in that chair with Dr. Teresa anyway. I have depression. I was born with it. Um, situationally, environmentally, maybe it was made worse. I, I, I don't know how you um, put, how you define how that works out. I would have been in that chair anyway. These were just some of the things that I used as an excuse because I was different. Um, but I would have been in that chair anyway. So. I reconnected with my father in, in college, and we had a weird relationship. And I saw him a couple times, and um, he called me the week before um, he killed himself. And we had a very normal conversation. Usually he called and he was drunk, and I would call my sister and say, Dad's going to call you next. Don't take the call. He wasn't mean. Uh, he, he just didn't make any sense. And he was um, so smart, but he just... The disease was too strong. Uh, he didn't have the tools um, to put it all together. He was so quick-witted. Um, he had an amazing voice um, that he never used. You know, he, he eventually was a deputized rent-a-cop. 
and God bless those people that do that job for a living. Um, I, I think he could have done something else anyway. Um, he called me the week before and he made so much sense and he was so, uh, I didn't call my sister afterwards and say, dad might call you and, and he's drunk again. And that's when he took his life. And I remember thinking to myself when I got the call, um, well, at least maybe he'll find some peace. But I wasn't, it didn't affect me immediately. I thought, well, there you go again, Mike. Um, and you're supposed to go through those, those stages of loss. And I didn't go anywhere but anger. Uh, and I, I cursed him for his weakness. Hold it together, if not for any reason, me. How selfish. Um, and that's just the little boy that it took a long time for me to work out in, in therapy. And although we were never fully connected in, in life, uh, I feel as if uh, our unique stories, we're the same person. I share his, if we share 98% of DNA with monkeys, imagine how much more I do with this cat um, who ended up depressed with anxiety and medicated with alcohol. So uh, I think what I'm doing with you guys today, um, if anything, is for him. Uh, and sure, there's healing for me to let him off the hook. Um, but there are so many stories, and this could have been me. When I got this call a couple weeks ago from a guy who's just starting his journey into recovery, uh, I called my AA friend and I said, how do you feel, how do you reconcile guilt if somebody doesn't make it uh, who you tried to mentor? And he went through the prescribed AA answer to that. I, I didn't use AA in my recovery a lot. I went to a couple of meetings and that was enough uh, to realize the consequences of drinking again. What I needed was, was therapy. I needed to know why I was medicating. And once I effervesced a lot of this stuff and was able to put it together, um, I have a good group of friends that are alcoholics. I, the, the meetings just didn't, it's still the number one way to become uh, normal again. Um, he said, uh, you just have to witness the best that you can and be available, but realize that most of us don't make it. But I think when we go back to your dad and how you have reconciled with that, I mean, he obviously left you his gift of his voice, um, which I really appreciate. But also I think it's a good time that we talk about depression as an illness. I mean, over 90% of those who die by suicide have a diagnosed or an undiagnosed um, battle with depression. So if we look at depression as an illness, which we do, which you do, which I really appreciate you continuing to mention because many people think it's a choice, that it's treatable, it's preventable, yet it can also be terminal. And I don't think we talk about it that way enough, but we can talk about cancer as being terminal. We can talk about heart disease. We can talk about the flu. We can talk about all of these other illnesses that affect our bodies. But for some reason, our brain, we can't talk about a terminal illness with our, our brain. And it, it really helped me when that statement was made to me that, well, 
your husband died of a terminal illness. I mean, this really wasn't his choice. And I think that you can validate that by saying you didn't choose depression. You were born with it. And you would still be sitting in that chair even if you didn't have that relationship with your, with your dad. So I think that it's really important that we keep that, again, saying that depression, all, all, all mental health illnesses, alcoholism being one of them, eating disorders being another, can have terminal effects. And so therefore we have to let, no matter how much we do love someone or how much we do for them, we don't have that ultimate blame. Right. We can't. We don't have the tools to be interventionist therapists or to follow someone's complex long road to even see the signs, a prophet in his hometown. You asked me about my alcoholism and its journey. My short answer was, I have a disease and I used alcohol to medicate uh, for it. Um, those tools now are part of uh, healthcare and we are able to now uh, use therapy and alternative medicines uh, and get insurance to pay for it. That was not an option when my father was my age. Um, and it was a sign of, you know, macho weakness, which is another uh, part of the guy mental health equation, which is just, I don't want to say stupid because that's just the way it's been perpetrated, propagated. And we need to, like we're doing right now, spread that word that if you put your foot under a lawnmower, you go to the emergency room. Now Pine Rest and so many other places have emergency rooms for mental health. Thank God, mm -hmm. because that's just, it's doing nothing but saving lives, pure and simple. If there would have been an interventionist that would have called before my father shot himself, can you imagine how my life our lives would be different. Mm -hmm. And I look at, you know, Be The One podcast. I mean, you had one, you had Sandy, that gave you compassionate comfort and said, I know. Very similar to, I know, I get it, I understand. I understand. And I know. It's the same thing. Great point, Bonnie. It is. Um, I'm so grateful that, that you had Sandy and your beautiful daughter, daughters to help support you through this. So um, today we are again with Steve Kelly from Wood Radio um, sharing such a remarkable story of, I look at it as courage, bravery, and most importantly, self-care for you. And um, so grateful and honored that you're here. Thank you so much. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much, Steve, for coming in, sharing your story. I know it's, it's not easy, but alcoholism, again, so often ties into depression that it's that that medicating those those disorders so thank you so much for sharing your story with us today thank you again to consumers credit union and big b for your support thank you again steve thank you both very much for the work that you're doing and for this uh unique opportunity it has been an honor remember be the one who listens be the one who understands that love heals and we'll see you next week if you are struggling and need someone to talk to, remember that help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-TALK. And also, you can text GO to 741-741. They say everything happens for a reason. Life has its own seasons. In a way, you can only feel.
So on the rainy days, take your space On the sunny days, say your grace And remember, no matter what the weather I promise it won't get better The rain's gonna run, the sun's gonna shine But in the ground will come up over time And yeah, it might be so one day, one day those flowers are gonna grow